Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sound of Play. Rinse's Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. And joining me, Leon Cox, in Sound of Play 140, it's Mikiel Croder. Hello. Hi, Mikiel. Normally, uh, Ryan's been taking the ones that end in a zero. The shows on the 10, we've been generally trying to do a little something with them, a themed special or, or some such. Uh, we didn't, uh, I think it was Ryan just didn't have uh, anything particularly nagging at him that he was desperate to do at this point. And I think you dove in there yourself, Mikhail, and said, shmups. Yeah. It had to be, uh, it had to be at least you and me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying we're the only shoot 'em up fans on the team and certainly not in the wider Kane and Rince world, but it made sense for this sound of play for you and I to get together. And we decided very quickly on a format, which was to each choose uh, 10 or so pieces from shoot 'em up games, vertical or horizontal scrollers, not run and gun games. These are all uh, ship shooters, I think, possibly with a couple of person controlled shooters. Yeah, maybe some, some, some flying people or some, some flying people. Yeah. The sort of thing you expect from shoot 'em ups, mostly Japanese games, mm. uh, with one possible one exception, I think. The reason why I came up with uh, this particular special topic was uh, because I get the impression that not many of our community and of our listeners are too deep into the genre, and mm-hmm. I thought like um, here's a here's a chance to highlight just how mu- uh, how much great music has been made for games of this genre throughout the, the decades. Yes, uh, and I also think that we do sound a play because we very much believe that music is a huge part of the video game experience. And sometimes even when it's not there, when it's deliberately not there or games without sound, but in the sense that I always, I've always felt going all the way back to really that opening track we've just heard there, I think, it, it, I think that was probably the first time where I felt like this genre was completely intertwined and symbiotic with the music that backs the action, mm. which might surprise some people. Yeah, it's such a vital part of it. I remember we, we spoke a little bit about uh, Cinemora EX on the right. mega 11-hour uh, long podcast uh, yeah. of 2017. The, the music in that game is uh, was made by uh, Akira, Akira Yamaoka of Silent Hill mm. fame. And yeah. it's very somber and understated. Yes. It uh, feels so weird to be playing a game of that type with this sort of uh, moody, slow-paced music in it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I nearly picked a track from Cinemora, actually, but uh, it just got edged out by other things. But mm. on a similar tip, and actually Cinemora reminds me, and, and I think it's partly because of this, uh, of uh, Square's Einhander, and we will be having a track from Einhander later, but uh, that was perhaps a bit more up-tempo, but still quite yeah. dark and sombre. So uh, I'm looking forward to that one. But back to our opening track, and as soon as you 
put this idea of a special forward. I pretty much knew that this was going to be the opening piece. As it turned out, you chose it. There it is. <laughs> I can't remember an accompaniment, a musical accompaniment to a shoot 'em up before this, but it's hard to say for sure because I can't really understate just how important this game was to me back in the mid 80s. Nemesis mm. or Gradius, as we later found out it was actually called, but it was called Nemesis as far as I was concerned in the arcades of Brighton and, and and UK at large in the 80s. Nemesis was the game that I used to, every time after a trip to the arcades, I'd be on my way home, on the uh, walking home or on the bus, wishing I had a game that was just like it to play at home. Mm. And there were all these budget 199 and 299 clones for my Atari 8-bit computer, but none of them came close to the playability or the excitement and the atmosphere and the joy of Nemesis. And the music was just this music, this particular piece, Challenger, the stage stage one piece, just ringing around my head for so many years. And it's still an earworm to this day. Uh, I've I've got the game now on um, PSP and PS4, the hamster version most recently. And I play it. I still play it a lot. You know, I I got a a new larger TV this week. What was one of the things I wanted to see on it? Nemesis, (laughs) Gradius. Nice. Yeah, my my first encounter with uh, Gradius was uh, the NES version. Come to think of it, for for a genre that's so much tied with uh, with arcades, uh, a, a lot of them, a lot of my first encounters were with home versions because yeah. our arcades over in the Netherlands didn't really seem to pack that many of them beyond the initial what they call the the classics, you know, the non-scrolling, right. the fixed screen shooters like the, the Galagas and uh, mm. and what have you. Um, okay. It was all more about platformers and beat 'em ups uh, around my way for some reason. Yeah, so the NES version was my first encounter, and it's a game I dearly love. Uh, I've never actually played the arcade version. I'm familiar with it just from watching videos, but I chose the arcade ver- uh, version of the track because it's much more full, fuller than the uh, NES version is. Um, Konami is, is known for making great music on the NES, but uh, I guess that this was one of their earlier attempts. And it's as much as I love it, it's a little bit the NES version is a, is a little bit flat sounding. Yeah. And the weird thing about this tune is it's got no percussion. It's got no sort of white noise or percussive sounds or whatever. It's it's all kind of uh, melodic sounds. Yeah. This was a this was a 1985 coin up. And you'll hear even from the second game onwards and on our second piece that they started to add a few drums and things in. And by the time they got to the uh, Gradius 2, uh, Gofan Oyabo, they were they had you know, full sort of epic sounding synthesizers, sampled mm. music and all that sort of thing. So this was later became acknowledged by Konami as a successor to Scramble, which was uh, an incredibly famous, uh, a very early forced, possibly the, the first forced horizontal scrolling yeah, shoot up. It's sort of tied with Vanguard, but that scrolled in Vanguard multiple well. uh, multiple directions. Yeah, yeah. true. Yeah. You had shots and bombs to start with. There were no power-ups in Scramble, but um, and it had no music either, so we couldn't go back yeah. that far and play a tune from Scramble. So we started with Gradius and Nemesis, and I think it sets the tone nicely because I think a lot of the music we will hear apart from the the sort of the ones that stand out as being a bit different there is the two words that keep coming to mind uh, sound like a Christmas carol because it's joyful and triumphant mm. there's always this um, they, they can often be quite cheesy and uh, sort of you know epic sounding and, and some quite sort of hackneyed chord sequences and stuff like that but it fits the progressive nature of flying into into space battle, and especially for those of us of a certain age who did grow up with the the boom of sci-fi action movies like Star Wars and so on, mm. um, just being in control of of a space fighter and going into 
the cosmos and blasting away the whichever evil empire it was was just yeah so appealing against impossible odds you know yes, you you need, you need that sort of uh triumphant stage one theme uh to you know to to get your uh, adrenaline pump in and to brave the odds anyway uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 like the it's like a good uh, battle speech that you see in pompous uh, fantasy movies, yes. you know, something like a that, monologue, yeah, something like that gets you fired up. Bill Pullman in Independence Day. Yeah, <laughs> the funny thing is that this is the stage one theme, probably as much as uh, we can remember, but it's only uh, the second piece of music that you hear because there is uh, the preamble, the bit that you mm. hear when you're just flying in space. And this yeah. this theme kicks in uh, once you enter the volcanic, crusty uh, area. Yeah, it's true, actually. The, the, the two go absolutely hand in hand yeah. for me because I must have heard them adjacent to one another yeah, literally tens of thousands of times. Goodness knows how many times. Mm. Uh, yes, Scramble and Gradius and that... Ilkan Cannon is definitely uh, some games we'd like to cover on the other podcast, Kane and Rinse, in the future. Well, I suppose the next game in the series was both a sequel and a spin-off. Uh, it is Salamander. Mm. This is our next piece, also known as Life Force, depending on which version you play. Uh, we won't go too much into detail, but Life Force retained the uh, the power-up system from Nemesis, whereas Salamander opted for a, a more accessible system of just collecting tokens and them instantly being applied to your ship yeah. rather than having to manage your power-ups, uh, which I absolutely loved at the time. Salamander was also remarkable because it was both a horizontal and a vertical scrolling game in alternate stages, which yeah. is not, not something that I don't think uh, I don't think it had been done before. I'm not sure how many times it's been done since, um, but I was obsessed with this game. Uh, still am, really. Again, it's uh, it's been re-released for... Um, PlayStation 4 at least I'm not sure which other machines yet but uh, the Arcade Archive series from Hamster has, has got Salamander on it you can also get it for uh, PSP and Saturn in, in compilation form if you're willing to spend a bit more money but this stage as well this stage that I've chosen Planet Rattis uh, this was utterly uh, spellbinding in 1986 these enormous solar flares basically that you had to navigate your ship mm. through uh, it's actually a fairly simple sequence that once you once you know you'll probably never lose any lives ever again and if you're powered up uh, you pretty much you only have to move once in the entire level until the end boss but i still love it, it it's just the, the 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 use of color is just sensational and the the sprite art on the actual flames and and the the various enemies that come in it's just uh it's just so dramatic mm. Thank you. 
So I didn't say before, but the challenger music from Gradius is by Miki Higashino. And that was, of course, Konami. Also Konami, Salamander, All Life Force, Planet Rattis. Uh, Miki Higashino returns, aided and abetted by Hidenori Meizawa, Shinya Sakamoto, Sato Terashima, Tsuji Fujio. Of course, we don't know who did what exactly, but uh, everyone gets a credit. There's some fantastic music on those games. It's like a band. Yeah. What's interesting, putting this list together, uh, Mikhail chose his tracks first and then I just chose ones that I wanted. Uh, as it turns out, they've fitted together rather nicely and they, between them they make quite a good sort of path through shoot 'em ups of the 80s, 90s and 2000s. Some of the composers, the names that pop up early on, come back later on, uh, still working in the industry and still writing tunes for shoot 'em ups So that's pretty cool. Mm. So this next one's slightly unusual. This is going to be two pieces together, but I couldn't not include these uh, because I love them so much. Uh, Gallagher 88 was the, I suppose, the the third sequel to Galaxian, the second sequel to Gallagher after Gapless mm. uh, and Gallagher. This was a yeah, late 80s game. Actually, it came out in, possibly came out in 87 in the arcade. It had uh, remnants of the old uh, Gallagher and Galaxian games in that it had still screen sections uh but it also had scrolling sections so mm. so it forces its inclusion in here also by dint of having music not only did it have really cute adorable high score music and and uh ambient music setting the scene and things they augmented those famous challenging stages from the original 1981 Gallagher with what they call galactic dancing stages and so this is, uh, you may, if you've never played the game, you may remember this from the intro to, was it Ridge Racer Revolution had a dancing, galactic dancing stage on the PS1, I think it was, uh, while it was booting up in the period where Namco were, were putting loading games on their, on their PS1 discs. Uh, so yeah, aliens come on and they pretty much dance around to the music. They don't fire in these stages. It's all for bonus points and you're trying to uh, hit all 40 of them before any of them disappear off the screen. Mm. It's quite a challenge, less so if you've got a double powered up ship, but still you can end up missing. And uh, they move because they move in time to the music. So the waltz is a gentle introduction. That's the first one we're going to hear. But then the difficulty is stepped up with the tango because... They move around in this very angular staccato style and uh, dodge out of your, the line of your missiles that way. Yuki Kawada with the renditions of a waltz and a tango there from Galactic Dancing, Galaga 88. I can picture the uh, the bug-like space aliens dancing again. And it also reminds me that I was playing this uh, once. It was either 88 
on Namco Museum 50th anniversary or 89 the Turbo Graphics uh, port yeah. on the Wii Virtual Console and I remember playing it once with my daughter sitting there and my daughter became very upset with me because I was shooting the aliens while they were dancing on the screen like they're not doing Aww. anything daddy they're just dancing stop shooting them she's got a point <laughs> yeah she's got a very good point I think there was a version called Gal- uh, Galaga 90 as well for one of the machines. I'm not sure which one that was, or possibly it just came out later in some territory. So, yeah, yeah. multiple versions to play it nowadays. Uh, and I would recommend it because I think it's aged terribly well. Other than unofficial emulation on MAME, you can play it on the Midway arcade compilation that's available on 360 and backwards compatible on Xbox One. Not a na- uh, the, uh, Namco one, Namco sorry. One, yeah. yeah, Namco Museum. And uh, you can also play it on the Namco Museum that's available for Switch, Nintendo Switch, which uh, unfortunately has got a quite a limited selection of games on it. Uh, but I have seen that it's, uh, it's often down for about £15 in price now. So if you want that and Splatterhouse and uh, Rolling Thunder and Rolling Thunder 2 and a few others. Pac-Man uh, so Versus is on there as well. Pac-Man Versus. That's a good is a reason very, yes, to get that, that is, for compilation. Yeah. Worth £15 quid right there if you've got some friends. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and talking of Namco Museums, I first played Ordine on whichever volume it was, four, I think? I think it was four, yeah. Yeah, Namco Museum Volume 4. So I didn't actually, although this is a 1987 arcade game, I didn't play this until 1996 or seven, probably till it was 10 years after. I, I don't think I ever saw this one in the arcades. I'm not even sure it came out in arcades in the West. No, I think it was a Jap- Japanese uh, arcade mm. release only. When I started playing this on Namco Museum, it was a it was one of those you know it was a little hidden gem, a little treasure. I suppose it was the it was Namco doing the equivalent of Parodius in a way, in that it was a cutesy sort of chibi style shoot 'em up rather than the usual serious stuff. But Namco didn't have the same legacy of horizontal scrollers, so and I don't think this one is quite as sort of slick and and sort of overall playable as some of Konami's and Capcom's kind of examples of the genre. It is kind of fun and cute looking though. Um, yeah. I, I, like the, I like the shops, uh, the, the fantasy zone style shops in there, for example. Yeah, yeah. Forgotten World style. Yeah, yeah as well. Um, but the thing that really stood out to me was this ridiculous music. <laughs> uh, so this, this again is around one theme because it just kicks things off in such a jubilant style. Shinji Hoso is a composer here. Listen out for that name later on as well. Um, Absurd honking and parping noises. It fits the the odd character design of the two main characters as well. Yeah, which reminds me a little of the sort of Gambari Goemon uh, sort of thing. These very, you know, obviously Japanese style characters kind of forming a kind of comedy double act in a game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, you've got this absurd music, but then what's... What's odd is it goes into, I mean, this is one of the longest pieces we're featuring because although you never hear it for this long in the game, the whole piece actually is a full three minutes, 53 long. Um, But it turns into this rather sort of plaintive, almost wistful piece uh, as it goes along and then goes back into the ridiculous, rambunctious parping and honking. But um, it reminds me of some of the Sonic Mega Drive, Sonic the Hedgehog uh, themes uh, as it as it progresses um, and cultivates a similar atmosphere in my brain. So, uh, yeah, this is a a bit of a a deep cut. This is round one from Ordine.
ordine. I assume it's ordine. I've never thought that it. I don't know what ordine means even. There's many many names in the genre that uh, will. Yeah. You know, Gainuk, uh, of which Z- tr- played a, played a, a track uh, last episode. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of really crazy names. So if I ever design my own shoot-em-up, I'll make a very nonsensical... Uh, I'll think of a very nonsensical gibberish name for it as well. Yeah, yeah, you should do. This next game that we're about to feature is also known for gibberish, uh, but that was more to do with its translation and the meme that came therefrom. But uh, this is actually... Th- these next couple of games... Next, f- next few are actually all games that did have arcade versions, but in each case we'll be featuring the home version's music, probably just because those are the ones those ones we're most familiar with. So tell us about this piece from Zero Wing, Mikael. Why did you choose this of all pieces? I wanted to include uh, one of my favourite uh, Mega Drive Toplan tracks in this uh, in this episode i had to make a very tough choice yeah in the end i just ended up choosing zero wing because rightly because what you said it's most famous for its memes rather than for <laughs> its actual gameplay or yeah. the music and the game is not bad at all i think toplan has made uh, much better shooters than, uh, than zero wing but it's yeah. still a solid game with some, some neat ideas but the music is uh, pretty sensational at places and completely unsung no uh, you never hear people talk about uh, these fantastic compositions and especially the stage two track uh, Legris is uh, something that's just a joy to listen to and um, it's another one of those tracks that just gets the adrenaline pumping and fills you with excitement about uh, about what you're playing Legros by Tatsuya Umura, Toshiaki Tomisawa, and or Masahiro Yuge. More from uh, Umura-san coming shortly. So that's the Mega Drive version. Obviously, it sounds very distinctively Mega Drive because of its uh, its unique sound chip in, in the video game space. My memory of actually playing Zero Wing was quite brief. I think I rented it or a friend rented it and I completed it in one go. I think that was my time with Zero Wing. I was, you know, I was on a hot streak there and I was like, 20 years old and I was pretty good at games and 
Um, and I, I, I probably used some continues. I don't remember, but uh, I don't remember what the sort of mechanical gimmick was, if anything, with Zero Wing. You got two pots, two options on the top mm-hmm. and the bottom that also uh, very R-type, like uh, protect you from uh, from incoming attacks and, uh, yeah. and enemies. And you have a tractor beam with which you can oh, lift yes. up certain uh, enemy ships and launch them at the uh, others as, uh, uh, as missiles or use them as a shield mm, in front of you. Of and the heavier the ship you uh, lift up with the tractor beam, That's the right. more it pulls you towards the ground, the more it introduces inertia to your own ship. Yeah. That's pretty unusual. It is unusual, and it's a very cool element, especially for the time. It was uh, late, later on you would get games like Triggerheart Exalica, which used a, yeah. a similar mechanic, precisely for that reason. Because I feel like it was a little bit undercooked as a as a main gimmick or mechanic. Um, mm. You know, if you play R Type, you uh, get the sense that everything is designed around your use of the four spot. Whereas in Zero Wing, it never felt like you really needed the tractor beam thing. Uh, it was more like a cool thing to toy around with rather than an absolute necessity to get through the game. Yeah, I, as I say, that, that is my memory. I don't think it's a false memory of, of beating it in one session, but uh, Could very but well it be. It's, it's not too tough a game, yeah. Yeah, that's it probably is right. And, um, and that also explains why, although when the meme was around, which is, what, 14 years ago now or something? I think it was like 2004 that it was, you know, in early in the in the scheme of video memes. I vaguely recognized it and I, I knew you know, I was zero wing Mega Drive. Yes. No, I know where it's from, but I didn't I wasn't intimately familiar with it because I never owned the game. So I hadn't watched it over and over again. I'd only seen the game for that one session and probably only looked at the intro like twice. So, yeah, that was a weird one. Same stable. Also Mega Drive version, though I did also play the arcade version of Hellfire. This time, whereas you chose the arcade version of Gradius over the NES version, I actually chose the Mega Drive version over the arcade version because uh, although it has got that extra metallic harshness, I think it it works well with the piece Mm. and the atmosphere of the game. The arcade version is slightly more generically sort of 18, 16 bit, 8, 16 bit sounding. Yeah. Um, And it's nice. FM synth sound. Yeah, exactly. Whereas this has this real sawtooth edge to it, um, which the whole soundtrack does, to be fair. And it wasn't always that when the game the Hellfire, unlike Zero Wing, was tough. Um, and I think I did finish it eventually. It's really uh, a war of attrition to get through it the first first time. It's a bit of a baptism of fire. Yeah, of Hellfire. Mm. <laughs> yes. An interesting detail. Maybe you, maybe you knew this or maybe you don't. But uh, the programmers actually made use of a bug in the first generation of, uh, of Mega Drives to make the music as it is on the on the Mega Drive. Uh, the, so the funny thing is, if you play uh, Hellfire on uh, any other edition other than the first generation of Mega Drives, which says high definition graphics on the the ring oh, yeah. around uh, the main sphere in the middle, uh, yes. it, the music won't uh, for stage one won't play correctly, and it's it's stage stage one only in which this happens. Huh. So it will play at half the speed and with some elements missing. Oh, gosh. Well, that is good trivia. I don't remember if I ever went back to this game because I did end up with a later uh, iteration of a Mega Drive in, later in my, in my collection. So, I, yeah, I don't, I don't remember. But, um, but I think I'm pretty sure this, as you're going to hear it, hopefully the video that I found uh, is the one that sounds pretty much as it should do. Obviously, it should we're, be. Always, we're always at the mercy of a certain amount of what's been uploaded and uh, what's out there. 
Uh, we don't record directly from hardware. <laughs> we don't have that uh, time or, or luxury or cap capability. But, uh, but yeah, enjoy this. This is ready to go. And Captain Lancer, which is uh, comprises the opening stage of Hellfire. <laughs> the arcade version of Hellfire came out in 1989. The Mega Drive port came out in 1990. And the composer there, again, Tatsuya Uemura, who, whose music I also already knew very, very well by this point from uh, Tiger Heli and Flying Shark, mm. two of my favourite 80s shoot-em-ups, both vertical scrollers. Very slow, very tough. Twin Cobra but, has uh, a killer opening track as well by the same composer. Yeah, yeah. Another, another good one. Same team. Yeah, absolutely. So next up, slightly more melodically minded, I suppose. This is rather more back to the sort of encouraging, slightly twee, kind of breezy, bright and breezy kind of sounding music. Um, it's got some really horrendous, twangy, midi Super Nintendo guitar in this, but it was either this or the saxophone that appears on some of the other tracks. So uh, <laughs> I've spared you that that horror. Um this, as much as anything for me, is about the nostalgia of playing the game and playing this version of UN Squadron. I played the PAL version. It was a conversion of a, a Japanese game called Area 88, which was based on an anime and a manga, probably. Yeah, I just have this. Uh, this was the first year I had the Super Nintendo. This game had already been out about three years when I started playing it, but it, it was still just an absolute belter of a, of a horizontal scrolling shoot 'em up. They'd made some embellishments compared to the arcade machine, which was rather more of a straight, uh, straight scrolling shooter. This game had sort of tactical elements and surprise attacks and uh, a shop where you could stock up your, your uh, uh, arsenal and things like that. And uh, it was a really involving game that I yeah. played and played and played and played until I eventually somehow managed to beat it um, with some relief. Did you play this one, Mikhail? 
I re- I borrowed it off a friend uh, at one point and I definitely got some uh, some time in. Yeah, I think it's a this game is a really good entry point actually for uh, people that are sort of new to the sh- genre of the 2D scrolling shooter. Precisely because it is a little bit more involved and it always seems to be recalled very fondly by a whole lot of people. Line base by Manami Matsunai from UN Squadron, formerly known as Area 88. Sadly, that's never come to Virtual Console, unlike some of the other games of the era and uh, genre. I don't think it's appeared on the SNES Mini Classic or anything like that, to my knowledge. I suspect it's to do with the license of the anime yeah. manga probably having lapsed. Yeah, even though it got retooled for, for the West, it still has a li- the likenesses of the characters from the anime in there. Yeah, Yeah. so if you want to play this, you're looking at uh, homebrew-style emulation. But frankly, if that's the only way to play it, uh, I think that's absolutely fine. And you also have the choice of playing the Super Nintendo incarnation or the arcade original, which does have uh, some sort of slightly more impressive graphics, but doesn't have those extra little gameplay bells and whistles. Um, But yeah, uh, cool game. Capcom on the Super Nintendo. Speaking of uh, games that are hard to get hold of, this next one is from a game which never got an official home conversion whatsoever. Yeah, Uh, It's only, you can play it on... The, it's original hardware or arcade emulation. That's it, right? Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. So, and it's a really wonderful game, actually. Our type Leo. Mm. It's it's mm. a, definitely a, a bit of a, an outlier. Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty much a spin-off title from the main uh, R type series. Yeah. Uh, you don't have a four spot. You uh, exactly. you just have your mm. bits that you can actually launch at ships. And mm-hmm. it has a. It's supposedly it's a prequel to the main R type uh, series. And okay. Before the 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 biter threat became very uh, real and uh, doom like and pressing. 
the whole tone of the game feels a lot more breezy and lighter than the, the main art, mainline R-Type series. And that's also reflected in the music, uh, which is electronic, dancey, and very upbeat overall. This uh, stage one track, Paradise Planet, also kicks in uh, with a countdown of three, two, one, let's go. And yeah. that's the same Adam West uh, let's go yeah. sample that uh, also popped up in Street Fighter 3 Third Strike when once yeah. your uh, super bar uh, is filled up uh, to give you the audio cue that you can uh, use a super art. Good stuff. Yeah, let's hear it. Paradise Planet by Hiroshi Kimura. Three, two, one, let's go.
that was from 1992, IREM, of course, because it's R-Type, R-Type, Leo at the arcades. I was lucky enough, there was uh, one of those in Brighton when I was uh, in my, still in my early 20s on the on the pier. And then I got to play it again in, the, in, in its arcade guise in London in 2012. Nice. I had one. Uh, I don't know if it's still there in Tottenham Court Road, but it was uh, it was good to see it again. Why do you think it did never get home conversions? Because R-Type 3, Third Lightning, came out around the same time as this came out, maybe a year later, the Super Nintendo yeah, game. Yeah, I wonder. Maybe it was just too different. It's a head-scratcher, really. Bit of a mystery, isn't it? Yeah. I'm sure they could have done a, a conversion. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's just... I don't know. I mean, they, you know, obviously they they squeezed R Type onto the Super Nintendo in in the guise of Super R Type, but famously, as we talked about in in our R Type podcast on Kane and Rince, it was uh, it was a somewhat compromised, yeah. and extremely difficult. But R Type Three, they really they'd really got to grips with the Super Nintendo hardware for that one because it's a real it was, showcase. It was like they were trying to make up for what they did with Super yeah. R Type, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Uh, but listeners, if if you don't know, uh, there is a version of R-Type 3 for the GBA. Don't don't go near that version. It's, uh, <laughs> I, by all accounts, it's terrible. I've heard the horror stories. Yeah. I've never had the, the misfortune fortune of playing that version. Me neither, but I've been warned away from it. R-Type 3 was available on Wii Virtual Console, but licenses elapsed again. And I think most R-Type games are now currently unavailable to download in, in yeah. various places. I, na- yeah. I napped it off the Virtual Console when the yeah. warning came that it was going to go, uh, that a lot of IRAMs game were going to be uh, delisted. Mm. But good news is, at least, uh, R-Type Dimensions was given away on PS Plus and is backwards compatible on Xbox One. So the first two R-Type games are still relatively easy to play. Uh, yeah, if you bought them at the time anyway. <laughs> that, that's, that sounds very wrong. They're, they're relatively easy to play. Yeah, they're not very easy to play. Check out our friend Ben, Ben Cartledge, former guest on uh, on Sound of Play. Check out his One Credit Classics uh, on R-Type. No deaths. And uh, he'll be joining us for Ghosts and Goblins and Ghouls and Ghosts later this year on Cane and Rinse. This next one is a little something of an outlier, but uh, I thought it was important because as well as the arcades, in the very early 90s, I was playing a lot of these games on home computer. Uh, I got my Mega Drive in 91, I think, Um, but there were still a lot of examples of uh, particularly European coders making scrolling shoot-em-up games for home computers. Now, often they miss the point Mm. of the the Japanese you know the the, the wonderful slick Japanese design of, of the originals um, Project X was a great example Team 17 made this game which was incredible to look at had amazing sound but was just absolutely horrifically difficult to play however this team Kaiko did a few they, they obviously had real aspirations to be a, uh, a Japanese style developer and they made a game called Gem X which had sort of anime style girls in it uh, it was a puzzle game and then they made this shoot 'em up called Apidia which I think is just nonsense it sounds it sounds vaguely Sanskrit actually I think it, they wanted to capture that sort of sense of, of a game with a, a slightly exotic uh, name that you might yeah you might suspect means something but actually doesn't 
it had anime style characters in the cutscenes. Uh, you your character gets turned into a wasp and then must battle his way through multiple levels. It has that whole kind of micro machines going thing going on in that you're very small and the world is very big, but it's far more scary than micro machines. There's loads of weird secret bits like you get to go into into the the rotting corpse of a rat and play a little mini section and stuff like this but it was it was a pretty darn playable game it was it was a fun game to play i thoroughly enjoyed completing it it was not one of those i wish i was playing something by a japanese developer on console because this was darn good in its own right and it was backed by this most incredible soundtrack level after level of epic synthesizer music from the maestro chris hulsbeck i found it very difficult to pick one piece for this but uh, meadows edge one uh, i think it still is still the one that uh, gets the hair on the back of my neck going up the most so here it is meadows edge one
from Playbite of Germany and Kaiko Apidia, Amiga 1992, Chris Hulsbeck's soundtrack. And you're right, it absolutely doesn't mean anything. All I'm getting back uh, from my search <laughs> is, uh, is the reference the to the shooter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I wondered if it was um, some reference to aphids, uh, which is, uh, they're, they're the little like um, green fly, aren't they? Mm, uh, right. So I wonder if it's some insectoid uh reference that that stage that we we heard the tune from takes place on yeah like at the edge of a meadow um in a field and there's lots of natural you know like dandelions and various bugs and insects and centipedes and things like that so it has that whole kind of thing going on back to japan for this one this is your selection and also back to the uh incredibly raspy harsh sounding mega drive at its most rock the funny thing is that I started playing Thunder Force 4 on the Saturn on the Gold Pack uh, oh, compilation yeah. volume 2. I forgot two. that happened. Yeah, mm. so that's, that's, where, that's where I really uh, got to know Thunder Force 4 and its music. And it's from what I'm told, uh, the music actually sounds a little bit more bass heavy and full than it would do on an, uh, if you would play the original on, an, uh, on a Mega Drive. Yeah. Um, but this, this is a very short track. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the indeed uh, the equivalent of uh, yeah synthesized uh, electric guitars thrashing sort of thrash yeah yeah and it it lets you know right from the jump because this is the this is what the, the basically the intro track before you even start playing the game it lets you know right from the beginning that this game is going to kick unholy amounts of backside. <sighs> And what's so wonderful about it is if you pick, because you can actually pick your stage, which, which is the first one you're going to play. But if you pick the stage with the cloudy, mountainy background and the underwater section, this little theme is sort of reprised and extended mm. as soon as you enter the final part of the stage when you submerge uh, from the water and you see the boss ship that you need to take down. Take down. This, this particular track, kicks in again and it's just like you know you know it's on now <laughs> it's an almost undescribable undescribable vigorous feeling uh, that you get from hearing it at that point there and then appropriately named lightning strikes again Lightning Strikes Again from Toshiharu Yamanishi, Takeshi Yoshida and Naosuke Arai. And or, I should say, because we never know. Thunder Force 4 from Technosoft. Again, 1992. We're, uh, we've hit a bit of a groove in these few years. That, I mean, that game, it was weird because I, I had Thunder Force 3. I think I had it at least twice and, you know, bought it and sold it on import and then bought it again on PAL, I think. It was quite easy, Thunder Force mm. 3. Uh, it was, uh, and I almost picked a tune from it. The music was very much more of the sort of thing we've been listening to up to this point, kind of mellow, it, you know, relatively poppy, kind of light, breezy sort of, sort of stuff. And then, yeah, Thunder Force 4 opens with this ridiculously bombastic intro. Yeah. And the game is just so tough. Uh, it had a 99 lives cheat, as I recall, which is the only way I could get through it. <laughs> 
Yeah. It was really hard. I bought this day one, I think, or certainly very soon after it came out over here. It would have been a full price, you know, 40 to 50 quid cartridge. But I didn't really, as, as tough as it was, I had no regrets because I played it over and over and mm. over again. Uh, it was a technical showcase for the Mega Drive as Technosoft tended to yeah. produce. And yeah, the music Unbelievably was... slick and polished. Yeah, incredibly so. So you just talked about skimming the surface of the sea, but uh, <laughs> this... This game, the, 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 yeah, I was just thinking actually of that that very you know, striking image of the 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 flume of the water being blown up by the ship, yeah, uh, as it, as it flies over, and that's uh, I guess that's the same sensation as uh, th- this piece of music wanted to give you from Batsugun. Is yeah. that how you? I've never been sure. Batsugun. Batsugun sounds good to me. This is another game from the uh, Toeplan stable. Perhaps mm. they're. I, I'm pretty sure it's the last one they actually released uh, before they went mm. under and. It's its employees found uh, found uh, uh, a number of different studios, which we'll mm. hear from uh, later yeah. in this episode as well. Again, Batsugan is sort of known to be um, the proto bullet hell shooter, so it's uh, it's pretty tricky since, especially in Loop Two, the amount of bullets on screen uh, becomes unprecedented in the genre. Uh, only the, the only thing is that it's still very much an old school shooter and that you have a fairly large hitbox. So it's, uh, especially in Loop 2, it becomes super hard. Really confident swan song of a game by Toeplan, I must say. It's, uh, it fires on all cylinders. Uh, and I particularly f- gel very well with it uh, because I understand that you're not supposed to dodge all these bullets, but you play need you need to play this. You have an enormous amount of firepower. You need to play this game very aggressively and just take out threats before they can become a problem and start flooding the screen with bullets. Yeah. So it's it's a balls to the wall, fly up the screen and just shoot and destroy everything before it becomes a problem. Once you get that understanding, you can make it pretty far into it. Uh, I think the game starts uh, very uh, oddly underwater so you get Mm. released from an underwater base and you fly your spaceship through the depths of the sea with fish around you uh, and and the the boss of stage one comes up from the depths and it's sort of like a a monstrous submarine type of thing and then in stage two uh, skim the surface you come up from the water and you fly over beach beautiful beaches with glistening water uh, below you and it's very pleasant and again very um, motivating and uh, catchy track uh, starts playing
uh, the first we heard from Yoshitatsu Sakai from Batsugun, one of the archetypal hipster shoot-em-ups from the mid-90s <laughs> is the absolute we're, we're going to be hearing from uh, at least one more of those shortly uh, the kind of games that if you went on like the NTSC UK or Rollmuck forums back at the time this is what all the the shoot-em-up aficionados would all the hipsters say, we're talking about yeah <laughs> yeah this is this is the one that they would tell you to go and you know this this was the uh, get good of Dark Souls of its day basically <laughs> that kind of thing yeah, a good friend of mine at Nintendo who I had similar tastes uh, with sold uh, this g- uh, game from this uh, his collection to me for about 60 or 70 euros, I suppose. Maybe it's mm. not very kosher to be discussing prices, but uh, just, ju- I just wanted to make that point because I wanted to, I was thinking, you know, this, this he's, he's selling it uh, to me for the price of an actual new game. And I'm not mm. sure if I'm done with that, paying so much money for an old game. But then I started figuring... You know, I might just be spending a lot more time and having a lot more fun with this game than I would be with any new game that comes out. So I figured, why the hell not? And since then, it's gone up uh, remarkably uh, in price on a second hand market. So I'm actually uh, very happy with uh, the amount I paid for it. Next up, uh, another uh, slightly more um, more of more of these sort of um, mellower, laid back kind of. Track, I suppose. Um, Taito were a developer I never really associated with shoot 'em up. So I remember when Raystorm came out, which was, I think, the sequel to this. Even though they are behind Space Invaders. Our Space Invaders 40th anniversary Kane and Rinse podcast coming later this year. But they didn't sort of climb on board in the same way as Konami, Capcom, and the others did, did they, with the shoot 'em up? There aren't sort of, there mm. aren't lists and lists of, um, I suppose, uh, I mean, the Darius games are probably yeah. the most famous but that's they were kind of different obviously they were horizontal and they at the arcades they had the whole three screen wide gimmick going on so when this game came out or Raystorm came out I should say for the PlayStation I did buy it I wasn't entirely convinced by its gameplay mm. um, Layer Section was the predecessor is that right also known as yeah. Ray Force when it was it, uh, it, to, it has uh, four different names four it's, names uh, Original original arcade uh, name was Rayforce. In the West, that arcade port in Europe, it was uh, renamed to um, Gunlock. Oh yeah. And the <laughs> the Saturn version, the Japanese Saturn version, was renamed to Layer Section. Yeah. And then in the US, it's known as uh, Galactic Attack. So <laughs> there you go. That's a terrible name. We're dealing with the layer section version because uh, this is the Saturn music we're going to play. I don't know how much a variety there is, but why did you pick uh, this particular track from layer section, Mikhail? It's credited to Tamayo Kawamoto, right? But I've always understood this is part of the uh, larger Zuntata uh, yeah. um, oeuvre. And mm-hmm. since in uh, a previous uh, Sign of Play episode I was on, I already picked uh, Visioners from uh, Darius Gaiden. I thought I'd pick something from uh, from Rayforce uh, or a layer section instead. I think this this game, uh, we, I spoke about expensive Saturn shooters. Uh, layer section, last time I checked, is still very affordable. Maybe, you know, I'm almost tempted to use your favorite word, underrated here. But it's definitely <laughs> an underappreciated classic uh, that's fairly affordable uh, in the second-hand market on, uh, on all systems. Um, it's the first uh, game uh, that introduced 
this the type of lock-on lasers that you would see return in Panzer Dragoon, but also yeah. in Ikaruga. So these sort of lasers that fire out from the back of your ship and then home in on targets. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's basically a play on Exevious with targets that are below you, but where Exevious uh and uh twinbee and the likes can be a little bit tedious because you have to bomb ground targets and you know fire them away at exactly exactly the uh, the right moment um layer section or ray force is very breezy in that you just have to hover over targets that are below you and then uh on you can just press one button to unleash all your lasers uh to to destroy the targets uh it's a very beautiful game uh, i think the sprite art is is is, is really uh out of this world and also when you play it now you get the sense that they were trying to do with 2d scaled graphics what uh, treasure would later do with uh, radiant silver gun and ikaruga and polygons namely using it to, to twist environments around you and make yeah. dazzling dives into our other sections of the map yeah. and uh, that sort of sense you really get from there um, so I'd, I'd say if you are into the genre and uh, yeah, you 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 haven't uh, played Layer Section Ray Force <laughs> Galactic Attack or Gunlock yet. It's uh, definitely a title to seek out, and uh, it, it, yeah, it's by all by all means a bit of an undersung masterpiece.
Okay, that was Vision by uh, Zuntata, but possibly specifically Tamayo Kawamoto. I'm yep. less of a fan of those games, I have to say. Like, I do like them, but um, I have that one on. They released it on PS3 in 2010, I think, as a download. And as I say, I had the sequel, which was... Uh, Storm. It's not, it's, it's not that good. Yeah. No, not so good. Yeah. The fully polygon one. But um, yeah, no, it's uh, and yeah, it's definitely they they look and feel a bit different to many of the other games that we're yeah. we're featuring here. You don't have a you don't have a bomb in uh, layer section, which takes some some getting used to as well. So if you screw yourself over be, being at the, the wrong part of the screen, once uh, projectiles start flooding you, you you're pretty much screwed. That's mm. the only thing. I do always like the uh, yeah the locking on and arcing lasers thing never gets old. Yeah, and the track that we played, uh, Vision, is the first track uh, once you uh, hit the planet side, once you come back to Earth after spending two stages long in in space. So mm. this sort of uh, welcoming, more smoothing track really suits the mood and the occasion. So fly to the leaden sky next from Battle Garega. So this is another. This is the the year later, nineteen ninety six. Mm. Uh, it's recent, more recently had uh, on its 20th anniversary had a re-release on PlayStation 4 which is actually my uh, my main Christmas present from uh, that Christmas 2016 I remember uh, the excitement yeah yeah uh, I'm still excited by it I've, I've had it installed ever since oddly you get uh, you don't get a game disc in the box but you do get the soundtrack disc so you get the soundtrack CD but you get a code to download the game um, which is curious but uh, what yeah, actually, the I've I've had the the soundtrack on my portable music player, my phone, <laughs> ever since. <laughs> uh, and actually, it's a really nice, crisp, uh, remastered, remixed version of all of the tracks. Um, and in the game, this is uh, M2, one of our favourite uh, sort of retro converter emulator developers, the crack Japanese team. You can choose whichever version of the arc of the music you want. You can have the original arcade version. You can have the 1996 Saturn mix. You can have uh, all the you know the the ultimate, more recent mix. Um, but uh, yeah, so I like quite a few tunes off this and I probably would have chosen one myself, but you've gone with uh, Fly to the Leaden Sky. Is this your, your just your favourite or did you pick it for another particular reason? No, it's definitely uh, my favourite. It's one, one of those, another one of those classic opening tracks. And this is maybe the first really prolific piece of music uh, uh, by Manabu Namiki, a name we'll, we'll hear a lot more from uh, during the course of this episode. That opening stage, the the leaden sky, it's that whole diesel punk kind of feel mm. that you get from Battle Garega. One of the a game that's monumental for so many reasons, but aesthetically also has this some some really impressive late nineties sprite work. You know, borderline rivaling with uh, the likes of uh, of Nazca's Metal Slug series. Just really that that level of of detail, although it's a bit more uh, diminutive uh, in in this particular yeah. game, <laughs> but it's, it definitely has that sort sort of sense of skill and detail in there. That first stage has, speaking of depth, like in in layer section, it's you feel like you can peer down into this bottomless chasm that you're flying over uh, with all the construction uh, parts around the sides. It's a real wow moment, uh, that first stage, I feel. The music uh, just really plays into that as well.
So that was Fly to the Leaden Sky from Rising's Battle Garega, Manabu Namiki. So this is our 14th shoot 'em up track of this Sound of Play 140 special. And I mentioned earlier this was going to play a part. So in the mid-90s, Squaresoft were very famous for their RPGs. This came out the same year as a little game called Final Fantasy VII. Uh, and uh, also Final Fantasy Tactics, I think. So they were kind of on a hot streak. But because they were kind of, you know, to in the eyes of many, and certainly commercially um, and in terms of profile, knocking out the part with their RPGs, some some team within Square said, hey, we haven't done a shoot 'em up So they made a shoot 'em up I think this was their first attempt, to my knowledge. And they made something of a classic. It was released on PSN in the USA, so you could make an account on your PlayStation 3 and play it that way, the NTSC version. There was never a PAL release, probably just as well, because they, they would have not bothered giving it 60 hertz or, or optimising it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a different kind of game. It's quite complex, quite dark. It's got some interesting uh, mechanics with these pods that you can attach to your ship and flip them up and down. And it's just got, yeah, a very uh, unusually sombre, kind of cyberpunky dark future kind of dystopic kind of mood and the music by Kenichiro Fukui is uh, very hard techno a lot of the time with some uh, sort of discordant wailing and and um, like harsh uh, sort of Germanic speech and various things to keep you unsettled and keep you on edge but uh, but grooving nonetheless and uh, yeah this is one of my favorite pieces uh, Carl played one from later in the game back on Sound of Play some, some time ago. But uh, this is from not so far into the game. Uh, this is Street from Einhander. The whole soundtrack is by Kenichiro Fukui.
Next up, we have a very different vibe. This is from the grand orchestral style, but certainly not actually orchestral. You can hear it's uh, it's very much synthesizers, uh, digi digital music. Uh, Hitoshi Sakimoto's Radiant Silver Gun soundtrack. So I bought this when it was still pretty new. I think I've talked about it before. I went to CX in London when it was... Uh, a mecca, a haven of wonderful import treasures. I picked this up for 50 quid. It fairly quickly became worth double that and then sometimes treble that. Radiant Silver Gun, happily down the line, came out for Xbox Live Arcade. And you look at it, you think you're playing a very simple, old style, vertically scrolling shoot 'em up. But actually, it's got these incredible layers of, of uh, weapon leveling up and it's got all these hidden uh, dogs that you can collect and all these weird and wonderful uh, complexities buried beneath the surface, making a, a yeah, an extremely compelling and replayable game and quite an epic, fairly traditional story. But it's got this whole uh, imminent catastrophe and time traveling and strange uh, entities from the future. Uh, but uh, Hitoshi Sakamoto's music, it's its very obviously him. Again, I mentioned Final Fantasy Tactics. It sounds quite a lot like some of the music from that. It's got all these beautiful glissando harps and, and stabbing horns and all this stuff. But uh, yeah, Ruin, this one that I'm going to play is, uh, is one of my favorites.
Sakamoto, Ruin by Hitoshi Sakamoto from Radiant Silver Gun. It's not available on Steam, I imagine that. Still just dreaming of it, I guess. Uh, but it is backwards compatible on Xbox One, so you can uh, play it by buying the Xbox 360 version, or if you have an Xbox 360. One warning, I remember when it came out on XBLA seven years ago or whenever it was, a number of people I saw tweeting furiously saying, this game's rubbish, I played the trial and it's just some rubbish old shoot 'em up It demos really badly. <laughs> like it, th- this game, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, and you know, your mileage may vary, but as far as I'm concerned, it absolutely deserves its stellar reputation. But playing the XBLA like cutoff opening level section will not, give you any real idea as to what the sort of the the joys of this of this game are don't bother with the trial either buy it and commit or don't buy it <laughs> it's also interesting the, the the tone and the mood of this of radiant silver gun soundtrack because as we will notice that throughout uh the years throughout the decades in the genre nothing really much changes in the approach to shoot 'em up soundtracks it's all very uh electronic driven and it's all a lot of the tracks are very upbeat and um motivating yeah so you never get this thing that you have with a lot of modern video game soundtracks uh, for other genres that are more movie score inspired instead of catchy video game tunes that you hum in your head. But Sakimoto's soundtrack for, for Radiant Silver Gun and later Ikaruga definitely deviates from that and it feels a lot more like you said, orchestral and movie score inspired. Mm. Yeah, I think they're probably not the only ones. And actually, we have jumped around the genres a bit, not really deliberately. I just picked my favorite tracks and then we've ended up with techno followed by uh, sort of, yeah, more cinematic orchestral. We've also had a bit of uh, metal in there as well. So I guess um, there is a certain amount of variance, I suppose, in... Games like some of Cave's games, they've they've they have gone away from. Whereas the Don Patchy games, which we're going to hear from, kind of stick with the the formula. Some of their other games probably do move away from from the exact the exact genres. But they're certainly you're right. They they certainly do come back to a similar. Well, I think it's certain uh, there's a certain expectation. Yeah, certain, certain melodic, melodic lines and compositions, maybe more than the instrumentation, as it I should say. Uh, and actually, this was not deliberate, but it it just turned out that uh, my next the next game I wanted to choose a piece from chronologically. There's actually a big old gap here between '98 and 2004 when Treasure were roped in. Having uh, having made Radiant Silver Gun and Ikaruga was was that probably the same year I think uh, as this uh, or thereabouts. Ikaruga was uh, two thousand one. Oh okay, yes okay. So they yeah. they'd had a gap. So yeah, three year gap. And then uh, Konami decided to after something of a gap resurrect the Gradius series, seemingly for the last time I think. Apart from Gradius Rebirth by M two for the Wii a few years later, Gradius five for me, was just exactly what I wanted. It was one of the great developers, many of whom originally worked for Konami before they split off to form Treasure, revisiting this classic shoot 'em up franchise and making what at the time, back in 2004, was pretty much a, a state-of-the-art looking and sounding shoot 'em up I'm still waiting for this to be re-released as a downloadable HD remastered game with all the bells and whistles. Uh, I don't see it happening now with Konami being the Konami that they are in in 2018. Sadly, you can still play this, but uh, only as a PS2 classic as downloadable on PS3 if you don't have the original game. Anyway, I recommend it if you can. Uh, Hitoshi Sakamoto returned for Treasure with this soundtrack. He leans on a lot of the original themes, including 
the one we started this show with. Also, famous nice. pieces, famous pieces from Salamander and uh, and other games in the Gradius series, as well as coming up with some of his own compositions and marrying exactly marrying that sort of epic space opera with some of the sort of techno likes, the intense stuff we've heard from the likes of Einhander and some of the pop we've heard in some of the other games. So I think this is a real sort of culmination of years of shoot 'em ups and uh, and their soundtracks. So let's hear. This is just the opening from Gradius Five. Toshi Sakamoto again from Gradius 5. That's the opening. Yeah, and the channel Cinemassacre on YouTube just did a great uh, and loving review of Gradius 5. And I usually oh, right. don't get on uh, with anything much beyond uh, the uh, the comedic uh, uh, angry video game nerd videos. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, they actually did it, uh, did it justice and they did a very nice job uh, covering the game at length. I will check that out. So they've already been mentioned, but now we're going to feature a couple of tracks from the probably the the most prominent contemporary shoot 'em up developer remaining. Although these games are actually from a decade and more ago now, but Cave are still putting games out. Mostly they're old games coming out on Steam again. I think they've had some mm. financial trouble, but I think they're still just about hanging in there. The last shoot 'em up they released was Dodon Patch Side Ojo. And that's yeah. been a couple of years back already again. Yeah, yeah. And they're not coming out. They're coming out on Steam, but they're not coming out on current gen consoles, whereas they had a good thing going on uh, Xbox 360, which was odd in itself because the 360 was such a an absolute disaster in Japan. And yet, mm-hmm. all these Japanese shoot 'em ups were getting yeah. re uh, released. Uh, released, I should say, on a lot on of the exclusives discs. for the 360 by G Rev yeah. Cave Treasure as well. Yeah, I don't really know how or why that 
came to be. But um, PlayStation 3 would have made more sense in so many ways. I don't have it very clear anymore, but uh, it was one of those things where Sony was uh, actively discouraging uh, yeah. people releasing 2D games in the yes. first couple of years. Yeah. And Microsoft was all too happy to uh, court a certain uh, core Japanese developer. And that, and that conversation goes all the way back to the launch of the original PS1 when Rapid Reload yeah. or Gunner's Heaven got short shrift and Castlevania Symphony of the Night and these games were getting amazing reviews uh, from people who knew, people who understood that it wasn't just, we just didn't, you know, we, we didn't want to play horrible blocky polygon games over beautiful <laughs> 2D sprite games. Um, but yeah, yeah 2D is kind of fashionable again now, but uh, but for a time there, it was it was looking dodgy. We don't we don't see that happening anymore. The PS3 was probably the last instance of that happening. Of, Hopefully uh, so. And a platform holder discouraging a certain graphical yeah. style. Two tracks from K. First one you've picked is from Mashihima-sama Futari or Futari. Last boss music. Very bold choice there. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the first cave game I imported uh, from uh, from Japan, and cool. the, the first uh, cave game I played beyond some early dabblings with the uh, early don't patch and don't patch. This was actually at a point in my life where I figured out, like, you know, I've missed these types of games for yeah. years and years. I wanted to go back and see what I've missed out on. And Mushima Sama Futari was just like, it was a whole new world opening uh, opening for me. Uh, I picked the last boss track because it's very notable, because there was a very popular YouTube video called The Hardest Video Game Boss Ever, <laughs> which oh. shows this, <laughs> this boss, Queen Larsa or Spiritual Larsa. I think it's the regular Queen Larsa. The, the screen is just all pink with bullets uh, yeah. at this point. And then and this incredibly hostile, intense, fast-paced music plays at the same time, which just rips through your spirit. Oh, <laughs> and it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just something, something amazing.
was Last Boss by Manabu Namiki and or Kimihiro Abe yeah. and or Ryu Umemoto. And for those that don't know, we featured a couple of Toho Plant tracks before and Cave is a, an offshoot of uh, the defunct uh, Toho Plant as well as Rising who did uh, Battle Gorega. And G-Rev came from Taito, did they? These programmers and these musicians, they even though the, the companies they previously worked for went under, they still keep on popping up and still keep... <laughs> keep making games uh, and, and everything around it in the same genre. Yeah, I think uh, one one of the reasons I've picked a lot of the opening tunes is as well as just because I'm not amazing at, at shmups. It's just that it's, it's far easier to get them ingrained in your head for two reasons. One, because you play those levels more often because um, mm. you know you, you have to play through them to get to the to the harder stuff but also because oftentimes with the latest stuff your brain hasn't got enough space left to take in what's going on musically because you all you're doing is thinking about dodging mm. bullets so whereas I can whistle along you know to a to a level one tune I can't do that at the when I'm weaving my way in my, my tiny hitbox between eight billion projectiles so it's, it's worth sometimes listening to these pieces as we are doing in isolation away from and not just that but also all the sound effects getting layered over the top and and diluting the actual audio experience and i realize that these songs are composed with that in mind to an extent but they still they're composed outside of that and so sometimes it's nice to listen to them outside of that the uh, the cacophony of laser blasts and and whatever else and often as well sort of shrieks and cries of uh, japanese voice actors as uh, as they're getting hit not literally in the game i mean so another cave track <laughs> slightly different staff on this one although it may also be just by manabu namiki but uh, this time we have Asuz- asuza chiba and yoshimi kudo and this is a track from the dodon patch series and this one was actually released in the west uh, this is uh, from dodon patch daifukatsu or as we know it in uh, europe dodon patch resurrection yeah, Rising Star published it over here in Europe, and they, even though they didn't publish it, this this was before they set up a US uh, branch for a little yeah. while. But they made the European disc region free and import friendly for uh, people in the uh, NTSC uh, market. Mm. Yeah, and stage two is just one of those impossibly catchy, uh, catchy tunes that is just a real. Earworm by Namiki, who's particularly good at these types of iconic earworm tracks. It's almost, I feel at this point, it's almost a lost talent, maybe save for the, the chip, <laughs> chip tune scene and, uh, mm. and uh, a lot of indie titles. But it, yeah, it's, it's this, he has this really sort of neoclassic uh, approach to compositions, and Dividing Road of Fate is just a very good example of that, I feel.
Road of Fate there from the Donpachi Dovecuts, which uh, the only version of that that we could locate on YouTube is 30 minutes long because it's that catchy. But uh, Ryan will have faded (laughs) that down after a sensible amount of time. Too many loops can drive you loopy. Please, listeners, before we hear our last track, remember to venture over to the forum for our regular shows, uh, canandrince.com slash forum or Twitter at canandrince. You can request tracks for us to play in between uh, our selections or our guest selections ha- use the hashtag sound of play if you want also facebook we have a facebook page you can do it on there although people don't but you can request your favorites other oddities or curios pieces of interest especially if you have a story that goes with them or a, or a, 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 a an emotional memory something like that something to hang the song off of or if you just think it's a darn cool tune and it makes you happy that's good enough for us we'll continue to include a selection of those in the playlist for each regular show as i say please subscribe if you don't already to this sound of play podcast leave us an itunes or apple podcast review or rating or whichever other platform you get your podcast from or tell a friend or tell some people in your local knitting group or whatever you do uh, follow us cane and rinse on twitter on facebook on instagram And if you've enjoyed this show and the many other shows we put out, the interviews and the main podcast, you can donate a dollar a month, which is just around 70 odd pence through our Patreon, patreon.com slash cane and rinse. You can't say it's not value for money. Mikhail, it's been uh, a blast going back through all these shmups, of course. Uh, Thank you for your, 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 your half of the selection. And now we've got a final piece. So this was released uh, also on 360 and PS3 back in 2012 now, which I can't believe because it feels like I just downloaded it the other day. Uh, Mm. But I did buy it when it came out. Under Defeat HD. So this was an unusual one in that it was a very, very late arcade and Saturn um, Dreamcast release. No, uh, Dreamcast, Dreamcast, yeah. It was one of the last official releases on the Dreamcast well after it was uh, discontinued. Yes. And uh, yeah, indeed, it had a Saturn, uh, or it originated okay. in on Naomi board in the uh, yes. in the arcades. Yeah, yeah. I played I played this in Tokyo in a in a in a Tokyo arcade before I played the Dreamcast version. Um, a friend mm. sent me uh, a copied a disc uh, for the Dreamcast. The Dreamcast is very happy to play play pirated discs, um, so uh, I had a, a disc that somebody made me with Border Down two and various other things on it. No Border Down tracks, no Sivariar tracks in this show. So many uh, sort of cool games and series we didn't have time to uh, to feature a track from but under defeat so um i'm less familiar yeah, at with least this we featured I've... a track from a game by by grev yeah exactly we finished with grev under defeat hd i'm usually usually not a fan of taking pre-hd era games and just raising them up and calling it a day but i found that when i got my hands on under defeat hd that it hadn't really aged it was uh, st- still looked pretty amazing, actually. And part of that is also the uh, fantastic explosions in this game. Unlike a lot of other games that we featured, uh, Under Defeat has a very gritty warlike theme. You uh, fly a helicopter and you have a sort of a interesting, unique angle your shot type of uh, control. Yeah. Especially fun with two players, where you can sort of uh, take enemies uh, with with cross firing by lining up mm. your uh, your shots together. This and Zero Gunner have this sort of tilty thing going on. They're not not dissimilar in that aspect, definitely. It's kind of interesting that throughout all the the games we featured, uh, they they are very they feature a lot of themes of war, intergalactic war, space war, um, but due to their positive tracks and colorful uh, lasers, colorful ships, and everything, it never feels uh, definitely not a case of the horrors of war or anything. It, if anything, you you feel more like you're in the candy shop uh, when you play these yeah. games. 
under defeat hd almost nearly goes to this green war th theme but then the music just pumps you up again and you feel all happy about blowing up ships and see, seeing explosions and uh <laughs> well, this and is, fireworks uh, so this is great because uh yeah shinji hoso uh, who we we already heard from earlier in the show from his 1987 composition for Ordine with all the parps and the honks and the and the twee melodies. He worked for Namco from that year, working on his first ever game was a vertically scrolling shoot 'em up. He did the music for Dragon Spirit in 1987. He's worked oh, nice. on he's worked on Ridge Racer. He's worked on Tekken. He's worked on uh, Tetris, the Grandmaster series with Arika. Um, he's yeah, he's been an absolute uh, stalwart for thirty years of the industry. So it's quite fitting that we've uh, that we've managed to get two of his tracks from many years apart on this particular show. This uh, track is the the first stage track from the New Order mode version of the the game. Yeah. So it's this super widescreen uh, vertical scrolling uh, yeah. version, and it's a, it's a very full and rich version of this particular composition. It's a game, uh, Under Defeat HD, it's a game by G-Ref. They're still around and they made the fantastic Senko no Ronde 2, which came out last year. And at, at the moment of speaking, it's on sale. Not when you hear this probably anymore. No. But uh, get that game, get that game. All right, so this originally was out in 2006, a very late, as we say, very late Dreamcast game. Uh, this version was from 2012. So we'll leave you with Don't Look Back, New Order Mode version. Nothing to do with the band New Order by Shinji Hoso. And... Ryan will see you in Sound of Play 141. <laughs> 